In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel wrote down the substance of the dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. I was told, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being, and, the, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set up in place, and the Ancient of Days took its, his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. And now from Mark chapter 10 from verse 35, and I'll read up until verse 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. 
Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism, that baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now high school kids can leave and uh, join the program. And uh, I missed the most important announcement for today. <laughs> Namely that uh, all of 1015 is invited uh, to the Fendler's home for what's effectively a uh, housewarming, really. Uh, but it's more than that. It's a, a chance for you to, to meet others at 10.15. It's at, in a Bondi Junction. Uh, it's not very far to drive. And uh, we have, we've got details here. Is it on page something? Yes, it is. On page 18, uh, the address is there, including bus, uh, buses and uh, car spots, etc. We'd love you to join us at the Fendlers for lunch today. It's just uh, their generosity that's allowing that. Shall we pray? Father, our past and our present and our future in your hands. Uh, Jesus, you are the one who was and is and is to come. And so we entrust ourselves to you even if uh, life becomes complicated and hard in the days and years to come. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I dream at night like you dream at night. When my kids were younger, I had this simple dream that disturbed me. Uh, in my dream, I left my kids alone for about an hour in the dream, and I raced through the crowded city uh, to get back to them. It was a public transport nightmare. Central became a sort of hell, as if it isn't already. I got home in the dream and found them in the dream fast asleep. Didn't knock on their door. Just in the dream, I saw that they were fast asleep and safe as houses. And when I woke up, I found myself, of course, safe in bed, but with a tear, an actual tear, rolling down my eyes. I was disturbed. In our text today, Daniel has a strange dream. 7 verse 1, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed, and he wrote down the substance of his dream, as I wrote down the substance of my dream. And in verse 15, we find out that he was troubled in spirit, and the dream disturbed him. Now, my dream was personal and simple. I care about my kids. Uh, I don't want to be found negligent and therefore harm them. But my dream was by no means a vision that God has for the world, in contrast to Daniel's dream, which is a vision for the whole world, from God one that God intended for Israel in Old Testament times and for our world today. 
Daniel 7 is one of the most quoted passages of the New Testament. Therefore, it's one of the most important chapters of the Bible. Welcome, of course, to the book of Daniel. Living well in light of the promise of Christ's kingdom come. Remember, God gave us these ancient stories to show us a power that's higher than the ones we tend to fear and deeper than the ones we tend to admire. So we'll know that the sovereign high God is most high. We'll worship Him rather than the twisted powers of our world. He showed us these stories to show us how to do Mondays in Babylon, in our world. And one answer is you don't have to be a hero. You just have to remain standing. You just have to keep praying. Don't bow down to the gods of our age and don't get bumped off course. Do tomorrow what you did yesterday and keep doing it for the rest of your life. Die a follower of Jesus. But what to make of this strange dream that Mitzi read a moment ago? In broad outline, it's quite simple. Uh, Verses 1 to uh, 8, there's an underbelly to our world, twisted powers, and uh, therefore in God's sovereign plans, things will get worse for Daniel before they get better, before God judges the beastly rules and sends what what he calls the Son of Man. The Son of a Man, a a human one as opposed to a beastly one. Now, we'll explore more of that next week when we looked at verses 8 to 12. Daniel 7's uh, written in a genre, a particular style uh, called apocalyptic language. Apocalypse doesn't mean Hollywood, end of the world, disaster, zombie film. That's not what the word apocalypsis means. It means to reveal. Daniel 7 is God revealing what is on his heart. It's designed to make things clearer. It's high in imagery, very emotive, hard to pin down. It's meant to reach out from the page and grab you. I take it that those who are artists among us or poets are more likely to warm to these words more quickly than if I can say the engineers amongst us. God bless you, engineers. And in the early church, it was meant to mean something to those who are thirsty, not just curious, thirsty, people who are desperate to know its meaning. Are you desperate to know its meaning? So there are two things to say by way of outline on page 8. There's something twisted about our world, the kings of the kingdom of this world, and secondly, there's someone human to come in the plans and purposes of God. And to remove all suspense... The application of this talk will be to adjust your expectations of this world, the kingdoms of this world. We pray, deliver us from evil. Whenever I read online, such and such happened, and it's restored my faith in humanity. I'm like, don't even bother. You know, what's, why are you, what's the purpose there? Rather, uh, Daniel 7 through to 12, nurture in your heart your hope in the resurrection to come, which will transform life and living now in this complicated and fallen world. We'll pray, may your kingdom come. And also to seek the King, to thirst after Jesus Christ. So let's break those apart. Firstly, something's twisted. (laughs) What's happening in the dream in verses 1 through 8? Well, out of the churning and aggressive great sea, verse 2, arise four great beasts, each different from the other. It's like chapter 2 where there are four metals that come tumbling down with a rock that's 
that's cut out. Um, these four beasts come down, but with the Son of Man who replaces them. The first beast is in verse 4. It was like a lion. It wasn't a lion. It was like a lion, but it was given the mind of a human being. The second uh, beast is like a bear, uh, insatiable in its appetite for power. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. So ugly. The third beast is in verse 6. It was like a leopard with wings. It's fast. This beast, this kingdom, we'll come to that. It knows how to do scorched earth policy. It's king of blitzkrieg. It's not speaking about Hitler. The last beast is so terrifying, so twisted in verse 7, that Daniel can't even place it as an animal. It had large iron teeth, chung, 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 crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. In verse 8, Daniel's dream gets a little specific, talking about a little horn, a ghastly little thing that speaks boastfully. Now, there's the first part of the dream. It's terrible. I wonder if Daniel woke up with a tear rolling down his face. What does it mean? Why are we looking at this dream this morning? Well, let's go to the interpretation, because the interpretation is given. Verse 16. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my own disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. And here's the meaning. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But, we'll come to this, the Son of Man, the holy people of the Most High, will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Instead of the beastly rule, humane rule. So there it is, Daniel has been given an outline of human history for the next, what, 400 years, 500, 600 years? What to expect in the future? And the answer is, a whole lot more junk, a lot more of the same, like Babylon. Daniel knows that God is sovereign, that he can do as he pleases. Daniel knows that God has made promises that after the exile to Babylon for their sin, they'd return to Israel through forgiveness, because God is a God of truth and grace, like Jesus is full of grace and truth. But Daniel's been told there's more junk to come, more pain, more suffering after the exile, which is why he's so disturbed. Things will get worse before they get better. Daniel 7 is the ultimate check your expectations. The four kingdoms and kings are hard to pin down. They are beastly and foul. They are twisted. I take it the one, by the way, it's not the Soviet Empire like I was told when I was in the 80s. Why do why do we always interpret biblical prophecy in our own age? Are we that self-focused? The one like a lion is no doubt Nebuchadnezzar who represents Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar finds his humanity in chapter 4. He's raised up, he's driven mad like a beast and then raised on his hind legs like a man. The mind of a human is given to it. And the four kings or kingdoms are perhaps outlined on that histo map on page 9. This is Ram McNally, uh, and it goes from 400 BC to 1990, maps out uh, powers relative to other powers. Uh, the four kingdoms are maybe Babylon, that's the Chaldeans in green, then the Medes, that's the first part of the blue, then the Persians, and then perhaps the Greeks, 
uh, the final and terrifying beast. And the boastful little horn, probably, the scholars say, is Antiochus IV, whom you've probably never heard of, but he was the Adolf Hitler of his day and destroyed the powers of the surrounding nations around him. Real, real historical character. Or the kings or beasts could be, uh, read in light of the New Testament, the Babylonian Empire, firstly, then secondly, the Medes and the Persians, thirdly, the Greeks, and the terrifying and large empire is the Romans. Of course, during the time of the Romans, Jesus of Nazareth was born. In comes the Son of Man, circled in yellow on your histomap. But as we discovered in chapter 2, it's best to see the four beasts as representing all arrogant human power arrayed against God. The point is that all these beasts are beasts. That's the point. They're beastly. They're twisted. And unlike the animals in the Garden of Eden who are distinct, a bird, a horse, a fish, these animals are unnatural. They represent in many ways the ancient Near Eastern gods. If you go to the British Museum and you can see it, and there's beasts with wings and yada yada. The whole point is they're not the way God intended them to be from creation. Now, how will this help you? Well, it'll give you enormous explanatory power for the world you currently live in. Why do nations do such terrible things to other nations and to its own people? Why do people suffer so much if human beings are so good? Are we just ultimately good? Why do people abuse and manipulate and control, and especially when they gather together in governments and we lift them up higher? Why does power tend to corrupt? What is it about the human heart, and more specifically about government, when it's unchecked by various checks and balances? I do love living in a liberal democracy. Uh, a free and fair election will make a government afraid that they'll be voted out. Uh, uh, healthy market forces will make a business afraid that they do the wrong thing, they'll be held to account. Um, separate judiciary makes it harder for a government to oppress people. I mean, all these things, of course, they are a cover for the beastliness that resides in human beings. Um, not evidence of uh, grand civilization. Why do I live in a world where genocide can exist? I find genocide gobsmacking. gobsmacking. How is it that a million people can go down? What, how is that possible? What factors it got to play to make that take place? And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying oh, it happens in Rwanda, but you know, we in Australia are better than that. No, 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 I don't buy that at all. Sort of cultural arrogance. What is it about the human heart? Why are there despots and dictators? I'm thinking, of course, it's easy to name Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and Idi Amin. What about corporate greed? We live in a world where deceptions are rewarded and whistleblowing is punished. And that can all happen behind a board, not functioning properly. We live in a world where bullying and lying can mean promotion, often will mean promotion. We live in a world where it's hard to be an honest politician. We say, oh, such and such is fairly honest. And we're like, why is that, why is that a surprise? 
Why is it so hard? We live in a world of abuse, verbal, sexual, emotional, against the most vulnerable in our society, children, the aged, the disabled. We live in a world where we actually need a royal commission. And I'm thankful for royal commissions, but what does it say about the human heart gathered together in, 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 uh, in, in groups and governments? And one answer is that it's beastly and twisted, and we know that in experience. So what do we need then? What news do we need? What do we look forward to? Well, Daniel gets more news in his vision. We need the beast to stop and for humane rule to begin. Secondly, someone human, verses 9 to 14. What does the world need? It needs a second Adam, a son of a man, not the rule of the beasts. It needs, of course, a judgment against the beastly rule. It needs justice. It, our world needs a hell against powers that decimate lives, vulnerable lives. It's funny, when Ivan Milat died last week, suddenly Facebook was lit up with, you know, may you rot in hell. Suddenly we believe in hell. Of course, only for other people. But why do we do that? Why is it other people? We need, of course, the grace of God through forgiveness of sins and the restoration of order after chaos, the restoration of human rule as it was in the Garden of Eden, humane rule. In Daniel's vision, he sees, verse 9, thrones set in place, the Ancient of Days. We're going to sing about him in a moment. God, who predates creation, took his seat. His clothing was white like snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. All of these things apply to Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze, apocalyptic language. The courts were seated and the books were opened. Judgment has arrived. Judgment is coming. Action will be taken. The Ancient of Days, God himself will restore order. We get it. We get the need for justice and action. Well, we followers of Jesus Christ say that God will act. You just have to wait. The beasts will be judged, verse 11. Revelation thrown into a blazing furnace. It's all the genre of apocalyptic. And then human rule will be restored. That's what verses 13 and 14 are all about. Verses 13 and 14, you cannot underestimate how important these words are for the New Testament Verse 13, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Jesus is the promised hope of the world, coming with the clouds of heaven. There's the ascension. He approached the ancient of days, God himself, and was led into his presence, seated at the right hand of the Almighty in power. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Revelation chapter 1, that will never be destroyed. May your kingdom come, and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this time, not a beast, but a human one. Not temporary, but eternal. Not like the rise and fall of nations. And not full of chaos, but order. And not hurting, but healing. A power not bent on taking power. Jesus called himself the Son of Man over and over and over again in the Gospels. It was his preferred title. Read a Gospel. Look at his rule. He challenged arrogance and the abuse of power wherever he saw it. And yet he healed the lepers and welcomed in his arms the little ones. He touched the untouchable and freed those 
who are gripped by unclean spirits. He feeds the sheep and indeed, indeed he dies for them. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He spends time with the unloved and the unlovely, people like you and me. Listen to these words, all from the Gospels. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Thank God. The Son of Man has a palace? No. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man has authority to decimate? No. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, Jesus said to a lame man. In a dreadful debate about who's more important, Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, that's the beastly rule, and that their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, not so with you. You've got a whole new narrative, and I'm giving it to you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must become your servant. And whoever wants to become first must become slave of all. Such is the nature of God. Jesus then goes on and says, Mitzi read it out a moment ago. You heard it, didn't you? Jesus goes on and says, For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, unlike the beasts, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that we remember at the table in a few moments' time. The Son of Man must be handed over to the Gentiles, but you will see the Son of Man, Jesus said, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then what you thirst for, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, a decisive moment in the future, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus Christ, my Lord. And in the end, he becomes the victim of evil rather than a perpetrator of it by dying on a cross but in doing so, he destroys evil, consigns despots to the, to the dustbin of history. This is what it means to be on the right side of history. Jesus provides forgiveness and hope for the little ones. By rising from the dead, he provides new hope in this life and in the life of the world to come. Jesus approached the Ancient of Days and was led in his presence. Verse 16 and 17 are key. Four great beasts, four great kings. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. What do you know? The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. It's not just a nice line that gives you warm feelings inside. Guess who the meek is? Jesus is the meek one. The holy people are here, the son of man who will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, Israelites who keep faithful to God. When Jesus used the title Son of Man to refer to himself, he's saying, I am Israel, I am the King, the representative of God's faithful people, and being in Christ, we look forward to sharing the kingdom to come. So Mondays in Babylon, what do you do? <laughs> well, seek the King, thirst after Him. You thought it was just about Christian values. Oh no! It's about thirsting and following Jesus. It's about loving Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's about learning the holy habit of waiting for Him to come and therefore adjusting your expectations and nurturing in your heart 
your anticipation of the renewal of all things. You want it. It's embedded deep within your heart. Lewis famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world appears to be able to satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. At the end of the vision, Daniel is told to wait. The muck will happen, the underbelly will show itself, and he gets a scroll that must remain sealed in chapter 12 until the end. In the book of Revelation, Jesus, risen from the dead, opens the scroll, and yet even for us there's more chaos to come. So in the midst of all the complication, and I know you experience it, in all the anger, in all the mistreatment, trust God, stay with Him, one foot in front of the other, even in the chaos, your hope in the resurrection, which we'll explore next week. Hold the line, stay strong, live in resurrection hope. There will be tears, but the world will be made right in the end. As the creed says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I'm going to pray. Father, we say that though nations rage and kingdoms rise and fall, there's actually still one king, there's only one king, Jesus Christ, reigning over all. And so I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of Days. Amen.